Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts. We're going to go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, I've got a warning for you all today. There's no place to break up this message. So just throw your clock away today. It, it might be a little longer today. Amen? And, and that's for free. We already took the offering. You don't have to pay any more for it. We're going to have a great time today. This is an amazing text. And, and as often happens, when I first read through the text, I think, how in the world am I going to preach this? But then you start studying it and breaking it down and looking at it. And then I say, how can I preach all of this? And that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do a little review. And then we're going to dive into the morning service or to today's message. So we have to understand what has happened. My message today is the beginning of persecution. So this is the beginning of the persecution of the apostles who are preaching in the name of Jesus. And what has just happened is in chapter 3, Verse 6, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this amazing miracle takes place that this man, he's 40 years old, he's been crippled from birth, and now he's whole. In the name of Jesus Christ, he's been healed. And the people are amazed by it. And so in verse 12... And when Peter, of chapter 3, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, so this message is to Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we have made this man to walk? And then he starts preaching. And he tells them in verse, that it's done in the name of Jesus, he challenges them because in verse 13, the God of Abraham and of Isaac, Jacob, uh, and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus whom ye delivered up and denied him. Verse 14, but ye denied the Holy One and the just. You desired a murderer. Verse 15, you killed the Prince of Life. But now one of the greatest verses on mercy, or the greatest descriptions of mercy in the Bible, verse 17. And now, brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. Remember, there's no forgiveness for first-degree murder. But for manslaughter there is. Jesus Christ on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think they knew what they were doing. I think the leaders especially knew what they were doing. Would you all agree with that? Jesus Christ is extending mercy to them. It's unbelievable. And then he describes their ignorance. You're ignorant of the message that all the holy prophets have preached since the world began. And not only all the holy prophets, Moses, the one you claim to follow... He said, of your own brethren who want to rise. Of your own brethren. He was with you. He was among you. You're not only ignorant of what Moses said, but you're ignorant of his message that if you fail to hear him, you will be destroyed from out of the land. And of course, that ended up happening in 70 AD. They were ignorant of that prophecy. But not only the, of all of the holy prophets, not only of Moses, but he says in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 24, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after. So not only Moses, but also Samuel and all of the rest of the prophets, they all spoke about Jesus. They all spoke about his first coming. They all spoke about his second coming. And you missed all of it. Not only were they ignorant of that, they were ignorant of their amazing privilege. Look at what it says in verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, And in thy seed 
shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So they were blessed to be the people of God who from them would the seed of David arise, and that is Jesus Christ. But notice what it says in the next verse, unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus. So he raised him up as a child. He grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. They watched him grow up. They knew who he was. He was revealed as the Messiah to them first. They missed it. They were ignorant of it. But not only that, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to them first. The message was preached first at Jerusalem. What an amazing privilege they had. And that's the end of the message. Look at verse 26. And unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What an amazing message this was. This is the second sermon by Peter in the book of Acts. And what he says is, this is a national message. You as a nation crucified Jesus. You as a nation are responsible for this. But each and every one of you can turn to Jesus. It goes from a national message to an individual message. This is the transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. National message all through the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the United States might go down the tubes, but you can be saved. Isn't that a blessing? And so, we have a definition of repentance here. The end of verse 26 of chapter 3. In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. That's what repentance is. Turning from your sin to the Savior. And repentance is the message all through the book of Acts. And so, that's his message. And while he's preaching that message, look at chapter 4 and verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, that's Peter and John, and as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and look at this, and the number of the men was about 5,000. Can you imagine the crowd that was listening to Peter preach? 5,000 men got saved. That's not to mention the women and children. They believed. They believed the word. And what was the word? That Jesus is the Messiah and that he was crucified and that he rose from the dead. That's what they believed because that's the message that was preached. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow, so the next day, that the rulers and elders and scribes, now notice these names, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, Recognize those names. These are the ones that had tried Jesus Christ already. And John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned 
and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man, this lame man, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Let's pray. Lord, help us as we try to understand some things that are in this text. And as always, there's no way that we can cover everything that's here. But Lord, I pray that what we do say is true, that it represents your word well, and that you're glorified as we preach the word. But Father, I pray that we as your people, that we are encouraged by this, that we're challenged by this message, and that we leave here with a desire to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So now the enemy begins his acts, and the first indication is given that the offer, God's amazing offer of mercy, is going to be rejected. Now we're going to start to see what Jesus Christ has said, that, that blindness is going to come to the people. And then Paul affirms that in, in Romans chapter 11, that blindness in part has happened to the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. We see that this rejection of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit was, was working and speaking mightily through his apostles. Man, Peter, who has been hiding, who has seemed to be foolish, that he seemed to be foolish, when I don't believe that he was foolish, I, I really don't enjoy the criticism of Peter, when what Peter was doing was he was acting on what was said. He just didn't interpret it properly. He was believing what was said. Please don't ever miss that. But now, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus has spent all of that time after the resurrection teaching them, speaking to them about the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom that is in you. And then the Holy Spirit of God comes. And now the Holy Spirit of God not only indwells Peter, but the Holy Spirit is preaching through Peter. It's an interesting thing. This is not necessarily Peter's sermon. This is the Holy Spirit's sermon. How many of you know that's a difference? I've preached some sermons that I think are Holy Spirit sermons. What are those? Those are the ones where I clearly communicate the Word of God. I've preached some other sermons that are utter foolishness because they're what I wanted to say. What we need in our churches is the preaching of the Word of God exactly the way that Peter did it. Amen? Now, what's interesting in this, right at the beginning, the Holy Spirit was certainly acting mightily through the sp spoken word, but these leaders were hardening their hearts against, listen, the word of God, the preaching of the word, and the spirit of God. And these men were not unlearned and ignorant. These Pharisees, these Sadducees, these priests, and we're going to define some of that here this morning. They were not ignorant men. They knew the passages, the scripture passages that Peter was citing. They knew all of these verses. They probably had all of these verses memorized. They knew the message that Peter was preaching, and they were rejecting it. We, we see that all of the time in our culture today, and this is a perfect example of how are we to address the culture. There's another thing that I want you to notice in this text, and you'll see it come through. The hatred that these rulers had 
against the name of Jesus Christ and the satanic power that was behind their hatred of Jesus. I want you to think about that. Religious and satanic. Religious and satanic. You know, in our day today, when we stand up and we proclaim the truth and set it in juxtaposition to false teaching, we are considered hateful. Well, then, the apostles were hateful. Well, then, Jesus Christ certainly was hateful. The prophets, they must most certainly were hateful. No, what we have today are compromising Christians and hireling preachers who are afraid of the crowd. They're afraid of the culture. They're afraid of the Internet. They're afraid of all of these things when we ought to obey God rather than men. Which, of course, is in, that's the statement that the apostles make in Acts chapter 4. Now, that doesn't mean we ought to be jerks. We shouldn't be uh, abusive in our speech. We shouldn't be demeaning about other faiths. And whenever we speak about another faith, we need to make sure that what we are saying is true and that our message is in love, hoping to turn them to the truth. It's not hatred toward the other people, even though we do hate false teaching. Bible says, I hate every false way. That's what the psalmist said. Soon, it became evident that this blindness was a very real thing. So let's look at a couple of things. The first thing I want you to see is the capture. Verse 2 of chapter 4. Being grieved, this is the Sadducees, the captain of the temple and the priests, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Boy, false teachers get really mad when you teach the truth. They get really mad when you teach the truth. And the priests, John Phillips said this. You know, it's funny. I have all these commentaries that I read. John Phillips is often considered a very simple commentator. It, it, it's amazing how often he says it just right. And listen to what he wrote in his commentary on Acts. The priests, so they're, they're angry. The priests, because of where Peter was preaching the temple, the Sadducees were mad because of what Peter was preaching, the resurrection. The resurrection. How many believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? See, who were these Sadducees? Look at verse 2 again, or verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests, we know who the priests are, the priests of the temple, and the captain of the temple. The captain of the temple was the second highest man in rank. In the temple. So the high priest was the highest. Right under the high priest was the captain. He was usually a relative of the high priest. And then the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were messed up because they were sad, you see. Why were they grieved? Why were they sad? Verse 2 again being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. You want to make a liberal mad. You want to make a liberal mad, say you believe in a miracle. Why? Because they are rationalists. They do not believe in the supernatural. That's who the Sadducees were. 
Remember, when John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of heaven, and he would say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then the people would go out and be baptized of John, when they were baptized, what were they what were they, they stating in their baptism? They were identifying with John's message. What was John's message? You need to repent. What did you need to repent of? They had stopped looking for the Messiah. Why had they stopped looking for the Messiah? Because of the Sadducees. The Sadducees were liberals. They didn't believe the Bible. Do we have any of that today? How many believe Jesus Christ is coming back? Why do we believe that? Because we believe the Bible literally. Why do liberals don't believe that? They don't believe the Bible literally. It's, it really is that simple. It's that simple. Why do Reformed theology people, the, the Calvinists, why do they not believe in, the, the, in a pre-tribulation return of Jesus Christ? Why don't they believe in that? Because they don't interpret the Bible literally. They, they believe that those are spiritual lessons. That same error, that's the error of the Pharisees, that's the error of the Sadducees, that's the error of the priests. It's the exact same error. Now, the, the Calvinist and Reformed theology, praise God, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. They worship God the same way that we do. They believe in salvation the same way that we do. They are our brothers in Christ, unlike the Sadducees. Amen? Right? They're not our enemies. They just happen to be wrong on that. All right, now, who are these Sadducees? A sad thing is we don't have time to go there, but in, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 17, we have found that the Sanhedrin, which was the, the 70-some men that would rule Israel, almost all of them were Sadducees. So what? And, and the priests, the majority of the priests were Sadducees. The Pharisees were a very vocal minority. So you had some religious fundamentalists, but most of them were liberals. By fundamentalists, these are people who would believe the, the, the law. They tried to practice the law. That's the Pharisees. And they didn't want to give up the law when Jesus Christ fulfilled it. Right? They were not worshiping God. They were worshiping the law. Did you all hear what I just said? They weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping the law. And we have religions that are that, that way today. They're more concerned with outward dress. They're more concerned with music. They're, they're more concerned with, with externals than they are with the very word of God. We don't worship the standards, we worship God. And so they did not want to believe what the Bible said about the law. They wanted to uphold the law. That was the Pharisees. The Sadducees were people distinguished by several characteristics. They didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not going to like it when someone preaches the resurrection. But here's the problem. Here's the problem the Sadducees had. The resurrection happened. And they didn't have to believe the resurrection by faith. They had 500 witnesses of the resurrection. So now they have a problem. But why were they so angry? Because they didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. But neither did they believe in angels. And ultimately what the Sadducees did not believe in was a spirit world. Do you realize how many people today don't believe in the devil? You know there are Christians? People who claim to be Christians who don't believe there is actually a personal devil? Who was Jesus talking to during the temptation? Is that real? Did that really happen? Yes. Yes. And Satan is going to be bound. He's going to be put in, in the, the, the pit. 
for a thousand years in chains, and then he's going to be loosed. And those people who have been under the absolute righteous rule of Jesus Christ, without sin, absolute righteous judgment, with no error, with no need for appeal, for a thousand years, these people have seen it, Satan's loosed, and a bunch of people still follow Satan. What does that prove? That the only way anyone can ever get saved is by the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Because man at his best is altogether sinful. Amen? Why will we not follow Satan? Because we have a new body. We are in the kingdom sinlessly. Isn't that? I can't wait for that. I can't wait for you all to be sinless so you can be like me. Yeah, wow, exactly. I, wouldn't it be... Can you imagine worshiping Christ without sin? That's what we're looking forward to. That's what we're looking forward to. Okay, let's keep going. So not only they, they had a disbelief in the bodily resurrection and a denial of the existence of angels and spirits, but they had loyalty to the Roman government. Did we just see that recently? How many churches shut down because the government wanted us to shut down? See, they had loyalty to the government rather than to the word of God. And so one of the reasons that the Sadducees wanted to stop the apostles is they didn't want any trouble with the, with the Roman government. That should never be a concern of ours. Now, what is our desire for the government? That they leave us alone. Right? And what Paul said, he said that we want to live peacefully. We, we don't want interference of government. What does that mean? Well, then we obey the laws that we can obey according to the Scriptures. We're required to do that. Amen? But if the, if the government requires us to do something that requires Scripture, you've got to obey God rather than man. Amen? Amen. Let's keep going. They also had a desire to maintain the status quo. They liked what was going on in Israel. They liked the Roman government. That's the whole idea that we need to stand against as Christians. See, let's not be co-opted by the religious right. Amen? Let's just submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if establishment government on either the Republican side or the Democrat side, if that established government, if if they want to go against what the Bible says, we need to obey God rather than men. And we need to hold our representatives accountable to the Word of God, not to party affiliation. I don't care about party line votes. That's not the issue. What is right, what is true, that's what we need to hold them accountable to. Amen? And that's exactly the message that is being preached here in this text. They had an association with the wealthy class. I had somebody say to me years ago, it might have been the first month that I was here, I preached a message, um, I think it was on Easter Sunday, and a family left the church and someone said, they were good givers. That's why it's really good that I don't look at who gives what. Amen? We, we can't change the message based on who gives money. And so the Sadducees, they, they enjoyed their position. They enjoyed the, the perks that came along with their position. And remember, it's much easier to get along with the liberals if you deny the word of God. Liberal Christianity, liberal politics, liberalism, 
G.K. Chesterton, the Roman Catholic apologist and, and humorist. Some of you have seen the Father Brown mysteries. They're based, uh, or the Father Dowling mysteries. They're based on the Father Brown mysteries that Chesterton wrote. And Chesterton said a liberal is one who, if he could silence the mouths of all the liars for all of time by waving his hand in a dark room, would not wave his hand. Because liberalism is based on a lie. The Sadducees, what they believed was based on a lie. They were the theological liberals of their day. When we believe the word of God, everything that the Bible says, that's what we believe. So the Sadducees were greatly disturbed by Peter and John's preaching because it directly opposed the Sadducees' denial of the resurrection, and it would also shake up the establishment. Then, Sadducees found themselves in a particularly vulnerable position. Why? Because the resurrection of Christ had publicly disproved their theology. Can you imagine preaching something, and then all of a sudden, God himself comes and disproves it bodily, physically, right in front of you? Now, if that happened, wouldn't you change? You're teaching something? So I believe that two and two equals five. And this is what my whole group believes. We all believe that two plus two equals five. Then someone comes along and they get two apples. And then they put two other apples right next to it. And they say, count them. One, two, three, four, five. You understand that's what the Sadducees did. We don't believe in, in resurrection from the dead. They killed Jesus. He rose from the dead. Well, I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Well, you're an idiot. No, you're condemned. You're condemned. Sadducees had a real problem. Rather than confess themselves wrong, they led in the persecution of the church and spearheaded this second and fatal national rejection of Christ. They hated Christ. They hated his very name. They hated him for his resurrection. And their anger was focused on Peter and John. Isn't it amazing how people absolutely hate the truth? They hate it. Man, there was just a parade. A, a, a pride parade. And these people were talking about they're gay, they're proud, and we're coming for your children. How many of you saw that? Saw the video of that? We're gay, we're proud, we're coming for your children. Not our children. And they get so angry when you identify that lifestyle as an abomination before God. It's not okay. We love you. We want you. Jesus Christ loves you. He died on the cross for you just like he did me. But in order for you to get saved, you have to repent just as I have to repent. That's not my particular sin. That's not my particular proclivity. That's not something I struggle with. None of you guys tempt me. But because I'm a man, there's other temptation that, that I experience. And all the men said, well, well that's sin too. That's sin too. 
And so the idea is not to say, well, we're all okay. No, we all deserve hell. That's why Jesus Christ came. We must be born again. And we can't soft soap that just because the culture wants to endorse a particular depravity. The anger of the Sadducees is now focused on a couple of humble fishermen. So the capture and then this company before whom they appeared, this is amazing. So Jesus Christ stood before these exact same people a couple of months before. These are the exact same people. And Peter and John know what happened to Christ. And now they're standing before these exact same people. The, this Annas and Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, they had looked on the face of Jesus Christ in judgment. They had looked into his eyes. They had heard his words of authority. They knew exactly who he was. They knew of the miracles that Jesus Christ had done. They knew that he had fulfilled every one of the prophecies of the Messiah. They knew every bit of that. And they still killed him. And now these are the exact same people that Peter and John are standing before. Hold your place here. Look at John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And verse 17. John 15 and verse 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. This, this court hated Jesus before they hated Peter and John. What I'm, what I'm going to try to do today is tie together what Jesus had said and now what the apostles are experiencing and what they say. But we can, we can really make a mistake of looking at the books of the Bible as individual narratives when the Bible is a running story that's taking us to the kingdom of Jesus Christ as he returns. Now, let's keep reading. Verse 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Man, these liberal preachers that get out there and deny the truth of the word of God on national news, they are loved. They are loved. The people that stand before the gay rights parade and say, repent, repent, this is an abomination, they are hated. Amen? That's the world that we live in. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now here, look at this, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Jesus said, don't be surprised when you're persecuted. They persecuted me. You're a follower of me. They're going to persecute you. Look at Mark chapter 13 and verse 9. Mark 13 and verse 9. This is one of those passages that we can understand through the principle of dual fulfillment. This is the immediate fulfillment. The ultimate fulfillment will be during the tribulation. But the immediate fulfillment is right now in our text in, in Acts chapter 4. 
So let's look at Mark 13 and verse 9. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogue ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. Is that exactly what's happening here? So let's go back to the book of Acts. They had they had to appear before this council. And you know what I think is fun? I think the apostles knew, hey, hey, John, don't be afraid. Jesus said this was going to happen. Isn't that cool? You know, just like during COVID when all that stuff started happening, you started seeing what was happening in world government, and you start to get scared, and you say, wait a minute, Jesus said this was going to happen. Jesus said there's going to be a national government. Jesus said there's going to be one controlling unit over the economy. Jesus said that. Now, let's not get discouraged. Hey, Jesus told us this would happen. This is awesome. Let's check that one off. So, the company. But I want you to see this. This is pretty amazing. Acts chapter 4. Are y'all back there? Acts chapter 4. Look at the conversions. Verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. There was no time for an invitation. They were hauled away. And I want you to think about this. These men are preaching the truth and the people saw the evidence of it by the healing of the lame man. They knew about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that's the message that's preached and 5,000 of them believed. Do you think that scared the Sadducees? They're listening to these guys. They are listening. 5,000 conversions. I love this. 2 Timothy 2.8 says this. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. So the preachers of the word of God are bound, but the gospel, the word of God is not bound. And while these men are being hauled off, others say, yes, they're being hauled off, but I believe. Several years ago, our missionary, Edgar Fagali, um, we were on our way to Ghana, and we were supposed to have a national revival meeting in Sudan. And there was a war that started, and so they wouldn't let me into Sudan, but Brother Fagali was already there. And he had a meeting during this war in the section of the nation that is predominantly Muslim. And I'm trying to remember the number. I think it was something like 800 people bowed the knee and received Jesus Christ as Savior. Isn't that a blessing? Knowing they'd probably die for it. Did you hear what I just said? See, what we say is, well, you know, I would get saved, but I don't want to give up and you fill in the blank. I want to get saved, but I'm not going to do this. That's not the message of the gospel. Amen? That is not the message of the gospel. These 5,000 people believed in the face of trouble. And let me give you one fun point. This is the last time, right here in verse 4, this is the last time that converts are numbered in the New Testament. So we have the 144,000 Jewish witnesses. We get those numbers in the book of Revelation. But during the church age, before the rapture, the converts aren't counted anymore. Why? You don't have any idea who's saved. That's a spiritual relationship between God 
and man. And that's why we pray. You you never know if we'll just keep giving the gospel, speaking the truth, testifying to Jesus Christ in love, being a person of joy, being out in the world but not of the world, being different, preach the truth, preach the truth, preach the truth, preach the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You never have any idea who is believing and who is responding. When you leave that gospel track, when you give that gospel track, when you stand up, when you young people stand up for Jesus Christ at school or among your friends, when you take that stand, you have no idea what God's going to do with that. The apostles didn't have any idea. They're put in jail. They didn't know 5,000 people turned to Christ. And yet, they continue to proclaim the truth of the Word of God. Now, I want you to notice the question that is asked. The question that's asked. Verse 7 And this is from Annas, the high priest, and this whole council, verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst... Now remember, they're surrounded by 80, 90, 100 judges. All right? Here's these two fishermen. And when they... Verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Well, hold your place here. Look at Luke chapter 20. Anybody tired this morning? All right, dive in. Let's let's do some work here this morning. Luke chapter 20, verse 1. And it came to pass that on one of those days, as he taught the people in the temple, this is Jesus, and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders, same people, and spake unto him, saying, Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? Can you all see? They've only got one playbook. The question they asked Jesus is the exact same question that they're asking the apostles. By what power? By what name? Tell us, by what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that gave that authority, that gave thee this authority? So by what power or what name? Let's go back to the book of Acts. I want you to imagine the fear that these leaders had. Because it was just Jesus. And even though the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they really didn't trust in Jesus. After they killed Jesus, it was no big deal. They got 120 people. That's all they got. They got 120. But now you've got 2,000, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And now, a few days later, you've got 5,000 more. Now we've got a problem. Imagine the fear that these leaders are experiencing. (laughs) We thought we stopped this. We thought we stopped this. How is this happening again? So now, that's the question. We're back in Acts chapter 4. Verse 7, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, by what power or by what name have you done this? I want you to see Peter's confession. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Listen to what Arnold Gabeline wrote about this. What a change had taken place with Peter. A short time ago, he faced a female servant of the high priest. And when the girl accused him of being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he denied him. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he accuses the Sanhedrin in the presence of the high priest that they crucified Jesus. What a contrast with the Peter who had feared that servant. Now, he's full of boldness. How does he do this? Look at what it says. Verse verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. Just that statement, this is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. 
Let's remember what Jesus had said. Hold your place here in the book of Acts. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 19. While I'm thinking about it, did they announce the team leader meeting for the end of the service next week? Okay, good. All right, look at what it says in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, Jesus speaking to the disciples, I love this, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. Peter didn't have any reason to be fearful. All he had to do is stand up there, and the Holy Ghost was going to speak through him. Now, let me just tell you something. Um, did we read verse 20? For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. You see that? Uh, so, years ago, I, was, I hadn't been pastor here very long, and this man visited, and he wanted to talk to me after the service, and he said, I want you to know, I don't believe that a pastor should study. I don't believe that a pastor should prepare a sermon. He needs to stand up and open his mouth and let the Holy Spirit fill it. Well, if you stopped with this verse, that would be true. But to the New Testament church, to the pastor, Timothy, the Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God. The Bible says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially that they that labor in the word of God and in doctrine. This same guy said, and I also don't believe in paying the pastor. I said, well, this isn't the church for you then. So anyway, let's look at, this isn't the only place he said that. Look at Luke chapter 12. Look at Luke chapter 12. Verse 11. Remember, repetition in the Bible is God's volume control. This message we're about to look at from Peter, it's a, it's a repeat. It's a repeat. God wants us to hear it over and over again because it's establishing New Testament doctrine. Verse 11. Uh, we are in Luke chapter 12 and verse 11. And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take ye no thought, take ye no thought, how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. So this is a direct fulfillment. Go to, go to Luke chapter 21. What's happening in Acts 4 is a direct fulfillment. How in the world does Peter have this power, this boldness? How does he know exactly what to say? Well, the Holy Spirit's doing it because Jesus Christ said he would. Luke chapter 21 and look at verse 15. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which, now don't miss this, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Now, we ought to memorize that verse. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you knew the word of God so well that when your adversary stands up, you just speak the word of God? Well, I don't know how to give this argument. Speak the word of God. You might not be as smart as your adversary. You might not be as well prepared as your adversary. You may have never heard the attack that your adversary is bringing, but if you know God's word, the Holy Spirit will give you the answer 
from his word, not by human wisdom, but by the Holy Spirit of God that is in us as we have hid God's word in our hearts and God brings those things to our remembrance as we need them. God, the Holy Spirit, does that. The reason he doesn't do it for us is because we haven't hid his word in our hearts, right? This was a very special example of what was happening. So now let's go to Acts chapter 4. So Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, we are in verse 8, chapter 4 and verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Man, did he say a mouthful in just a few short words? And see, don't miss this. He has been preaching. And I, personally, my opinion, and you can throw this away. This is just my opinion. This is the exact same message he gave at the day of Pentecost. This is the exact same message he has just preached to the people at the healing of the lame man. You all see that, right? I think his inflection is different. It was to the nation of Israel, their national sin. You as a nation crucified Jesus. Now he's speaking to the rulers. You did this. You did this. They are being confronted to their faces with a sin that they knew they had committed. Man, this is bold. These are the people that killed Jesus. And Peter, in boldness, through the Holy Spirit, is preaching this. So what's the content of his sermon? In verses 8 and 9, it was a good deed. You're judging us for doing good. Remember, Jesus Christ said that same thing. How do we know that this was a good deed? The dude standing right here. And how did they do it? Verse 10, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, don't miss this. Jesus Christ, that's his humanity. They all knew the name Jesus. They named many of their kids Jesus or Joshua. That, that was the name. They wanted their son to be the Messiah. They knew who Jesus Christ was. But not only that, notice he says Jesus Christ. That's the Messiah. That's why they hated them. This is not our Messiah. Remember, President Trump got elected. He's not my president. Right? Well, yes, he is. He's the president of the nation. Joe Biden, he's not my president. Yes, he is. He's the president of the United States of America. Right? He's not my Messiah. Want to bet? Want to bet? And then of Nazareth, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Look at chapter 3, verse 22. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your own brethren. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, Jesus Christ, of your own brethren. This is a very specific title that, that the Holy Spirit, through Peter, is giving to these men, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's your Messiah. Then, look at what he says, verse 10. Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom ye crucified. See, again... These are the people who had looked on Jesus. They had looked on his face. They'd looked into his eyes, and they were not filled with awe, but they were filled with hatred. Remember the Bible says in the book of Revelation that even after they experience all of these judgments, these people who hate God, after the Bible has been fulfilled, the judgment's coming to the earth, it says they still won't repent. They refuse to repent. 
And people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Because they don't want him. Then, again, verse 10, what's the message? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, I love it's never ends there, whom God raised from the dead. This is the constant message of the apostles. This is the foundation of everything that we believe. This is why we celebrate on Sunday morning. We come together because that's when that's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Amen? Yes. Don't ever let that get old. Because he lives, we can live also. What's the message? Hey, guys, you killed him. He's alive. Previous chapter, you killed the prince of life. Good luck. He rose from the dead. He's alive. And what do we do? We continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What's our message? Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you will believe that, he will save you. If you trust anything else than that, you're going to go to hell. And you're choosing to go to hell because you're rejecting the only name whereby you can be saved. He's alive. (laughs) This is so fun. Look at what he says. Verse 10. This is his message. Be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, so this court and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, man, they hated that name, whom God raised from the dead, look at this, even by him doth this man stand here before you. Yeah, he's, not only is he alive, he's still working through us. Even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. The healing of the lame man was an evidence that the crucified one lives and that he is Christ and that he lives and abides in those disciples. How many of you believe Jesus Christ lives and abides in you? And not in you only. He is seated at the right hand of the Father and that exact body is coming back to this earth to rule and reign. Of course, the rulers, they ask the same question of Jesus, by what authority? Peter gives the same answer. So go to Matthew chapter 21. I had never noticed this until I was preparing for this sermon. Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 23. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority dost thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And so then Jesus Christ turns around and asks them a question. But look at verse 42. So he tells, gives a parable, then gives a second parable. This is the end of that second parable. And why is he speaking in parables, people? So that they can't understand. Why? Because he knows they will reject it. And this is mercy. But he gets very clear in verse 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures... You imagine saying that to a Pharisee? But be like somebody coming to me, I'm your pastor, you know, this is my training. Have you never read the Bible? These are the Pharisees. These are the Sadducees. Verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Remember, that's the exact same passage. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. This is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We know that's what they said at the triumphal entry. The rest of it is, this is the stone that's rejected. Same passage. That's what Jesus Christ said to them. What does Peter say back in Acts chapter 4, verse 11? 
Okay, by this man, by Jesus, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Peter gives the exact same answer as Jesus. Why? Because that's the message the Holy Spirit of God wanted him to give. So Peter not only quotes the same scripture, but he applies it directly to Jesus. This is the stone. The truth concerning him as the cornerstone. The Apostle Paul fully revealed that to us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly uh, fitted together increases to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. We have the same message. Jesus Christ is still the cornerstone. The apostles are the foundation, apostles and prophets, and we build on that. But Jesus Christ must remain our cornerstone. And that was the message that he gave. And then Peter makes it clear that their only hope of salvation is the name that they hate. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name. For there is none other name. Look at verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. What are they rejecting? They're rejecting the only way of salvation. Verse 12 again, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He makes it clear. And this is our world. The world wants salvation, but they don't want Jesus. The world wants peace, but they don't want the Prince of Peace. And so they will have the same conclusion that these men did. But look at this conclusion. here's, Here's what they say. Verse 13, this is the response of the Pharisees. Sadducees, the priests. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, you know, I don't do a bunch of Greek stuff, but this one's fun. That that ignorant, that's in the Greek, idiote. Please do not miss this. To the intelligentsia of the world the highly educated people of the world. We Christians are idiots. Is that what you believe? You really you really believe there's only men and women? That's what you believe? <laughs> what an idiot. That's how the world looks at us. So, for me as a pastor, I believe every word of the of the Bible. I take it literally. I believe every word is preserved. I believe we have the word of God. You understand, to broader Christianity, we are fundamentalists. We are silly. That no, uh, uh, the Henry Vetter, famous Baptist historian, liberal, he said that there's not an educated man alive that believes in a literal Adam. There's not a half-educated man that can say, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. That's what he said. Not a half edge. That's what they, nothing has changed. They've actually been with Jesus, the author and finisher of the faith, the word of God that spoke the world into existence and upholds it with the word of his power, the one who is coming again. That's who their teacher was. But they're ignorant and unlearned. One of my favorite stories so, have you heard of Maranatha Baptist Bible College? Have you heard of that? So, I've got a friend that teaches out at West Coast Baptist College. He was finishing up his doctorate, and he was doing it through there. 
And he was writing a paper on Calvinism, and he cited Lawrence Vance's book, The Other Side of Calvinism. And the teacher wrote back, you need to use more scholarly sources. Lawrence Vance has like 10 earned degrees. He read 500 books on Calvinism. The footnotes and bibliography of that book are 300 pages. But you have to use more educated sources. Justin Yeo wrote a paper, and he cited James Knox. And his teacher said, you need to use more scholarly sources. James Knox has something like 170 IQ. But here's the problem. He's just a pastor. He's, he's just, what's a pastor know? And so what we've done is we've relegated the Word of God and theology to the academy when the, the proper place for that is the local church. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, not the college. And so here we're accountable to the Word of God, not a board of trustees. And so we are considered unlearned and ignorant men, as the apostles were. I don't think that bothered the apostles. And notice what happened. These are unlearned and ignorant. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. I remember I was at Southern Seminary. That's the the preeminent Southern Baptist Seminary in uh, Louisville. I was in the archives doing some research, and the head archivist was there, and I told him I was a pastor, and uh, he asked me about the research I was doing. He was actually a very kind man. He had his doctorate in um, his Ph.D. in church history, and he started asking me some questions, and I answered his questions and asked him some, and he started going like this. His eyes were going back and forth like this. Why? I'm just a pastor. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a professor in a college. Now, let me just say this. I'm sure that guy knows a whole ton of stuff that I don't know, but it's just that condescending. He was, he was a kind man. He wasn't trying to be condescending. It was trained in him to be condescending. Does that make sense? This guy was a very kind man, and yet he was shocked that just a pastor would know these things. Well, we have the same access to truth that they do, right? And this is, let's not worry about what the world thinks about us. Let's just be with Jesus. And that's why they marveled. Because look at what it says again, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them. Now, they didn't heed their message, but they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. How did they know that they had been with Jesus? Because he answered the questions exactly like Jesus did. So what are we supposed to do? When we're challenged by the world, when we're challenged by religious people, when we're challenged by the culture, what what should we do? Answer like Jesus would. And so what does Jesus do? How did Jesus always answer? He absolutely verbally annihilated religious leaders. He was not kind to them. Unless you think calling somebody a snake and a dog and a whited sepulcher full of dead men's bones. You, you circle the globe. You can pass the globe to make one proselyte. When you've made him one, you make him a twofold more child of hell than you yourselves are. So when you're with a, if you, God gives you the boldness, 
When I've been religious leaders of cults, I, I punch them right in the face with the truth of the Word of God. Why? Because that's what Jesus told me to do. That's what Paul did. When I'm with one of their church members, I sit with them, and I'm kind to them, and I communicate the truth to them. How many of you know there's a difference there? There's a difference there. The faith healer who knows he's a fake is different than the one being deceived. That's how Jesus did. And that's exactly what these men were. So what is their conclusion? They really have been with Jesus. The other thing that I want you to notice is that these apostles knew Jesus Christ's words and recognized them. I'm sorry, these leaders recognized Jesus Christ's words. They knew the truth. They just rejected it. So they recognized the words of Jesus in his men. What about me? I wonder if when I'm talking to a religious person that they would recognize Jesus Christ's words in me. Isn't that different than arguing or attacking or demeaning? Amen? They need to recognize Jesus Christ's words in us. Then, I love this, verse 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I wrote this. The truth was so profound. The reality of the lame man standing there was so powerful. These men of words had nothing to say. What did Paul say? Whose mouths must be stopped. They did it. They did it. Did Peter do it? No. Holy Spirit did it. Amen? What are we supposed to do? I can't do anything. God's word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do we believe that? Then we have to know the word of God. We have to hide God's word in our hearts. We need to have the boldness as the Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit indwelt you at salvation. You have the Holy Spirit of God. You actually have the written word of God. These men many times didn't. They had to have the Holy Spirit of God filling them to speak it. We have the Spirit of God right here. The words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life, we have the words of God. We have to know the words of God, and then we have to be bold. Let's not be influenced by the culture. Let's influence the culture. Amen? Let's all stand together. Are you born again? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, let today be the day of salvation. Why? You have heard the truth over and over and over again. If you've come to Grace Baptist Church for any period of time, you've heard the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't turn it away. Don't reject it. It's the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. And then let's not worry about liberal Christians and what they say. Let's not worry about the liberal culture and what they say. Let's go out into the world and let's speak the truth of the word of God, even if it brings persecution. Praise God, we're not being persecuted yet. So let's just go. Let's just go and speak the truth. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the opportunity to preach it. I'm very humbled to be able to communicate this text.